Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, thank you for joining me today for another present truth end time message. I hope you are under the protection of God by living in compliance with His law and divine principles. Today I am going to start a series on the exodus of God's ancient people Israel pointing out the types of the final movement of the three angels' messages today. As we prepare for the closing scenes of this world's history, we need to see the way God dealt with his ancient people so we can be forewarned of the means he will likely use with us today. Before we, we begin, I just want to say thank you for your support and prayers for Keep the Faith. We will continue to produce end-time sermons on current events when they happen. But from time to time, we plan to intersperse them with another installment in this series. We hope it is a great blessing and encouragement to you. I also want to let you know of a special offer. Last Generation Ministries would like to partner with you for your holiday giving. Sponsor five subscriptions to Last Generation magazines and receive ten magazines free on the life of Christ for holiday sharing. Five of each, Emmanuel, God with us, and Messiah, a $15 value. Use coupon GIFT2020 at lastgen.net and subscribe today. This offer is good until December 15th. You can also purchase inspirational gifts from their online store at www.lastgen.net. I especially suggest their beautifully designed magazines on the life of Christ mentioned above for your holiday gift bags. Remember, we can use people's interest in the Christmas story to touch their hearts with truth. You'll also find healthy plant-based cookbooks, Bible study resources, and study Bibles. Use coupon GIFT2020 for a 20% discount at lastgen.net or call 5406725671 This offer is good until December 15th also Let us pray Heavenly Father you have always been leading your people throughout history Ancient Israel was led by you through the pillar of cloud all the way to the promised land to show us upon whom the ends of the world are come, that you will lead us to. 
as clearly as you led them. Now, as we come down to the end of time, build our confidence in your guidance and in your promises again, because they will be the only thing we will have in the end. Come be our pillar of cloud today, and be our teacher too, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a time of uncertainty, with a lot of misinformation and lies, fake news and deep fakes, sinister and deceptive movements designed to take your eyes off Jesus and distract you from his most important work in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. In short, they are distractions to cause you to lose your salvation. Even in church, Satan has gained a foothold, and now many of the leaders and people are deceived and don't see the importance of the three angels' messages. They don't see the dangers of the ecumenical movement, and many leaders, ministers, and people don't believe that there is a sanctuary in heaven or that we are the last generation. Ancient Israel's experience prefigures our own through parallel experiences. Therefore, it is vital that we have a crystal clear message and a certainty that will guide us through the troublous times ahead and give us confidence and trust in the God of heaven to lead us. Trusting in God is the most important thing. And we need to see the role that trust, or lack of it, played in the history of Israel. Psalm 48, 12-14 says, Walk about Zion, and go around about her, and tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God for ever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Every believer in the three angels' messages is to examine the towers of the message and mark well the bulwarks and defenses against attacks and consider her strongholds and make sure that they will hold when the enemy assaults. In other words, we are to know and understand the message and apply wisdom to the truth for this time. As things get more chaotic, we need a certainty that is unshakable. The threefold message is that certainty, that guide to navigate the dark days ahead. If we don't see the importance of maintaining the towers and the bulwarks, our children won't see it either. And that's what's actually happened to us today. There is little knowledge among us today of the great and strong towers of the three angels' messages. They are broken down for most of God's people. That's why there is such a crisis of identity and insecurity among us 
concerning the very truths that will guide us through to the close of time. We need to recapture that message and vision. Listen to this statement from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 120. A storm is arising that will wrench and test the spiritual foundation of everyone to the utmost. Therefore, avoid the sandbed, hunt for the rock, dig deep, lay your foundation sure, build, oh build for eternity, build with tears, with heartfelt prayers. Jesus told a short parable in Matthew seven twenty four through 27 Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Both builders had a knowledge of how to build a house. But knowledge wasn't enough. One chose a firm foundation, while the other chose the shifting sands on which to build. We must apply wisdom to knowledge and build upon the rock, the solid rock. Two types of church members exist today. Those that are wise build their experience on the rock of the word, especially the certainties of the truth uh, that apply to the last generation. Those that are foolish build their experience on the unstable, shifting sands of culture and philosophy. You must obey God and live by his principles if you are going to be wise. Noah had a present truth message for the antediluvians. Lot had a present truth message for Sodom. Jonah had a present truth message for Nineveh. Elijah had a present truth message for Israel in the time of Ahab and Jezebel. John the Baptist had a present truth message for Israel in the time of Herod and Salome. And Christ and his apostles had present truth in their day. So likewise, God's people have a present truth message, a warning for today. Here is a statement from Great Controversy, page 609. Different periods in the history of the church have each been marked by the development of some special truth adapted to the necessities of God's people at that time. Every truth has made its way against hatred and opposition. Those who were blessed with its light were tempted and tried. So the Bible 
is the most up-to-date and relevant book for our times, and it is a book of parallels that mark the stages of God's church through types and symbols in ancient times to be applied in modern times. Therefore, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible is suited to guide the, God's people through the difficulties of the darkest times in our age if only we study its pages, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. Enoch and Elijah were a type of those who will be alive when Jesus comes and will be translated without seeing death. We must emulate their lives if we want to be of that number. Moses was a type of the righteous who will be resurrected at the second coming. Noah and Lot and their messages are types of the messengers and message just before the second advent. So also was the message of John the Baptist. Jezebel was a type of the papacy, as was also ancient Egypt, a type of the spiritual darkness and bondage of sin. Our experience is the same as theirs, spiritually. But we can avoid the spiritual pitfalls that they fell into if we will learn the lessons taught. We can learn from each of these characters great lessons that will instruct us on how to gain heaven, for they are types of our generation. Ancient Babylon was a type of Satan's false and counterfeit system of religion to the close of time. It is playing out in spiritual parallel right now. The earthly sanctuary, with its apartments, furniture, service, and priesthood, were typical of the heavenly sanctuary and the atoning ministration of Christ going on right now. One of the greatest parallels, consisting of types and antitypes, is found in the Exodus and Advent movements of ancient Israel and modern Israel. The Lord delivered ancient Israel from Egyptian bondage and led them through the wilderness to the earthly Canaan, or the Promised Land. The exodus from Egypt and the experiences of Israel were typical of the gathering of modern Israel out of the darkness of modern Egypt, or the world, to lead them to the heavenly Canaan. These two, ancient Israel and the Advent movement, are actually two of the greatest religious movements in all history. Both movements arose in the fulfillment of prophecy and accomplished their work in harmony with the divine purpose and moved forward under the leadership of the God of heaven. The Advent movement is the onward progress of the Reformation. In fact, it's the final phase in the struggle with Rome, 
or spiritual Babylon. And they come from everywhere. Modern Israel is to be gathered from the whole world, of which Egypt was a type. The last great gathering is from the islands of the sea, and from the four corners of the earth, from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Notice what Jeremiah the prophet says in chapter 23, 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. The deliverance of Israel from bondage was the greatest and most compelling event in their history and was to be remembered throughout their generations by the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, and other memorials. So likewise, our deliverance from the slavery of sin is the greatest event in our history. And we are to remember it every Sabbath and through the communion table and through Bible study, etc. In Deuteronomy 26.7, the Lord says, And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a muddy hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. But that deliverance was a type of a greater deliverance from slavery to sin. It takes a mightier and more powerful arm to wrest Satan's slaves from his control. Listen to this from Isaiah 11, 11 and 12 and 15 and 16. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria from and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. He shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over on dry shod. And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Does that sound like the crossing of the Red Sea? But Isaiah speaks of the second time, so it can't be talking about ancient Israel here. There are only two movements of the same kind 
in all of history, one being a type of the other. The deliverance from Egypt was the first, the type. The second is fulfilled only in the final worldwide gathering of people with a message described as the three angels' messages in Revelation 14, 6-12. This is the antitype. Notice, too, that there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. God will take away every roadblock so anyone who is willing can come to him and be saved. But notice the symbolism with ancient Israel of the crossing of the sea. In prophecy and in type, the sea represents multitudes of people. So the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground is a type of the miracle of the latter rain clearing the way for people who have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience now take their stand for the precious truth. The Great Controversy, page 612, says, Now the rays of light penetrate everywhere. The truth is seen in its clearness, and the honest children of God sever the bands which have held them. Family connections, church relations are powerless to stay them now. Truth is more precious than all besides. Notwithstanding the agencies combined against the truth, a large number take their stand upon the Lord's side. Revelation 15, 2 and 3 says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Why does the remnant sing this song that ancient Israel sang to celebrate their deliverance? It is because they have been through a very similar experience. It is a type of the redeemed. That song of ancient Israel points forward to the destruction of all the enemies of God's people and the final spiritual victory of spiritual Israel over the enemy of their souls, even Satan the dragon. The story of Israel is, in simple, the story of the church today. You can only sing that song if you have been through the experience of being delivered from sin by the power of God. You have to experience being led through the spiritual wilderness to the heavenly Canaan, similar to ancient Israel, that was led through the literal wilderness to the earthly Canaan. 
Listen to this statement about modern Israel from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, page 358. The Apostle Paul plainly states that the experience of the Israelites in their travels has been recorded for the benefit of those living in this age of the world, those upon whom the ends of the world are come. We do not consider that our dangers are any less than those of the Hebrews, but greater. There will be temptations to jealousies and murmurings, and there will be outspoken rebellion as are recorded of ancient Israel. Outspoken rebellion? What's that? Could it be that the church today is repeating that history too? Does that make you think of women's ordination or sports played in our schools or, and even on the Sabbath or the diet of many of God's people, especially some ministers? And what of rebellion in the ranks of the hospital system, like serving meat and alcohol and performing non-emergency tasks on the Sabbath? The list could go on. Have we lost the vision for what makes us a peculiar people that are shown God's special favor? And what do you make of this statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 75? I have been shown that the spirit of the world is fast leavening the church. You are following the same path as did ancient Israel. There is the same falling away from your holy calling as God's peculiar people. Or this one from the Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 94. The sin of ancient Israel was in disregarding the expressed will of God and following their own way according to the leadings of unsanctified hearts. Modern Israel are fast following in their footsteps and the displeasure of the Lord is as surely resting upon them. Or this one, from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 160. Satan's snares are laid for us as verily as they were laid for the children of Israel just prior to their entrance into the land of Canaan. We are repeating the history of that people. And look at this one from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, 456. The same disobedience and failure which, which were seen in the Jewish church have characterized in a greater degree the people who have had this great light from heaven in the last message of warning. Or this one. From Testimonies to the Church, Volume 1, page 609. I was pointed back to ancient Israel, but two of the adults of the vast army that left Egypt entered the land of Canaan. 
Their dead bodies were strewn in the wilderness because of their transgressions. Modern Israel are in greater danger of forgetting God and being led into idolatry than were his ancient people. Many idols are worshipped, even by professed Sabbath keepers. The sins and iniquities of rebellious Israel are recorded and the picture presented before us as a warning that if we imitate their example of transgression and depart from God, we will fall as surely as they. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The exodus from Egypt indicates a previous going into Egypt. This took place when Jacob and his sons moved into Egypt because of the famine at the request of Joseph. While they sojourned in Goshen, they multiplied and became a great tribe or nation. But the mingling with the heathen Egyptians was detrimental to their own religion. There came a great apostasy or falling away from the faith of their fathers, the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In their contact with pagan deities and the idolatrous worship of the Egyptians, they lost their knowledge of the true God and his truth. They gradually adopted heathen nature gods and forgot God of their fathers. As they began to worship the creature, they also ceased to celebrate the sign of God's creative power, the Sabbath, and adopted its counterfeit, Sunday, which was the day dedicated to the Egyptians' primary god, Ra, the sun god. They became semi-pagan. Likewise, spiritual Israel had a pure faith in apostolic days, but there came a gradual falling away from the faith of Jesus. See Second Thessalonians 2, 2-7. The church gradually adopted worldly customs and practices and finally drifted so far into Egyptian darkness that the light of the world was nearly extinguished in the Dark Ages. Spiritual Israel went down and became so conformed to the customs and doctrines of spiritual Babylon that the mark of distinction almost completely disappeared. Along with other practices, they kept the Egyptian Sunday that had been promoted to them by the papacy and worshipped the creature rather than the creator. They lost much of their Christian characteristics and became, at best, semi-pagan and semi-Christian. The time prophecy for the Exodus was foretold to Abraham. In Genesis fifteen twelve through 16 God tells Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation 
whom they shall serve I will judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The deliverance foretold in the 400-year prophecy included the probation of the Amorites. By the time of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, the Amorites had been given abundant time to repent of their high-handed sins against God, and their guilt was full. God, in his mercy, had even shown them his power in his dealings with the Egyptians concerning the Israelites, and the deliverance was actually their last appeal. They should have sought them out to learn of the true God. They would have been spared if they had turned from their wicked ways. But instead, they attacked them and harassed them, thus closing their probation. Seven-time prophecies, some of which were made 500 years before Christ, gave the time God's people would remain in bondage to spiritual Babylon, and also the time when their exodus back to light and truth would begin. Daniel 7.25 says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of the of time. And Revelation eleven two and three says But the court which was without the temple leave out, and measure it not for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days in sackcloth. This is talking about the 1260-year prophecy of papal supremacy. The true followers of Jesus endured persecution during this period, while the Reformation began before the end of the 1260-year period. The Advent movement, which was to call God's people all the way out of Babylon, did not start until 30 years after the end of this prophecy. This is significant because the preparations for the exodus of ancient Israel began before the close of the 400 years. But the movement itself did not leave Egypt until 30 years after the close of the predicted period of bondage. Notice this text, Exodus 12, 40 and 41. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out 
from the land of Egypt. Now let's think about Daniel 8.14. And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And it began on time. The Advent movement arose in fulfillment of prophecy, and it started on time. While the Reformation started some time before the close of the 1260-year prophecy, the proclamation of the Second Advent message started about 30 years after its close. So from 1798 to the beginning of the Midorite movement was about 30 years. The probation of the world cannot close until the wicked have filled up the cup of their iniquity. Like the Amorites in Israel's day, this is one reason for the delay in the fulfillment of God's promises to the Evan people. They cannot have possession of the earth in its redeemed state, the promised land, until the inhabitants of the earth have rejected the last call. Revelation 18, 1-5 And send away their day of grace until everyone has irrevocably made up his mind. Listen to this statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 208. With an unerring accuracy, the Infinite One still keeps an account with all the nations. While his mercy is tendered with calls to repentance, this account will remain open. But when the figures reach a certain amount which God has fixed, the ministry of his wrath commences. The account is closed, and divine patience ceases. There is no more pleading of mercy in their behalf. Egypt closed her probation by fighting God. Pharaoh's heart became hard toward God, and his determined rebellion was persistent. And he made slavery more brutal to show his disdain for God. Finally, there was no turning back. He had passed the point of no return. The limit of God's forbearance is linked to man's wickedness and his hardness of heart. If there is any chance of repentance, which only God can see, probation will will remain open. But God tests the character of individuals, families, churches, and nations. He will bring forces to bear that reveal what is in the heart, and these will bring about the final decision. Please don't resist repentance any longer. The longer you wait to come to Jesus with your heavy burdens, the harder it will be and the harder your heart can become. There is also a grand universal and overriding divine record-keeping. From Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 574, comes this statement. God keeps a reckoning with the nations. 
Through every century of this world's history, evil workers have been treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. When the time finally comes that iniquity shall have reached the stated boundary of God's mercy, his forbearance will cease. When the accumulated figures in heaven's record books shall mark the sum of transgression complete, Wrath will come, unmixed with mercy, and then it will be seen what a tremendous thing it is to have worn out the divine patience. This crisis will be reached when the nations shall unite in making void God's law. There are other parallels and types between ancient Israel and modern Israel. For example, the Israelites could not serve God and worship him as he wanted them to in Egypt. They were to be a distinct religious people that honored God in every aspect of their lives. They were to obey him, which includes worship. Likewise, the end-time Advent people can serve God in everything while in association with Babylon. Any involvement with the ecumenical movement removes a layer of distinctiveness and makes it impossible to serve God with the whole heart. Any connection with spiritual Babylon prevents full compliance with God's will. They have to come out of her all the way so they can obey him and worship him the way he wants them to. Ancient Israel was called out to be completely separate. Likewise today, God is calling out a people so he can have a peculiar people and give them a special experience with him and make them stand out in holiness and loyalty to worship him. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past ye were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." But there is a more pointed type and any type here. At the same time that Moses approached Pharaoh with a request to go three days' journey into the wilderness, he attempted to establish Sabbath-keeping among the slaves, for that is what it means to serve the Lord in a specific sense. Isaiah 56, 6 says, also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, every one that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant. To serve the Lord in this passage primarily means the keeping of the Sabbath. It has many implications for religious living and comes from a heart that loves God supremely. 
Notice what Pharaoh said next. Exodus 5, 4 and 5. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let my people from their works? Get you unto your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. The attempt to keep the Sabbath made Pharaoh angry, and he increased their burden. God in mercy was giving Pharaoh an opportunity to know the truth, but he refused it. The result was that Israel had to be emancipated completely so they could serve God by keeping his Sabbath. Modern Israel is also called to keep the Sabbath. They, too, must be emancipated completely from Babylon to do so. Isaiah 56 also describes the gathering of the Sabbath keepers just before the second coming of Christ. Listen to verses 2 through 8. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord, to serve him, and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, every one that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and taketh hold of my covenant. The Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him, besides those that are gathered unto him. This includes the many people. It includes the son of the stranger and the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. It includes the outcasts from Israel and others, which embraces all people as you find in Revelation 14.6, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Also, the Lord declares that his house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Isaiah 56.7 So in the antitype, the Sabbath is the outward sign of a godly character and separation from evil. The Sabbath command makes authentic the whole law, since it is the only one of the ten that identifies the lawgiver. Its observance, therefore, is the test of obedience to the whole law. James 2, 10-12 Sabbath-keeping shows that the law of God is written in the heart and that we are under the new covenant. Hebrews 8, 10 because the Sabbath is the sign of loyalty to the Creator and a sign of holiness in those who keep it, its observance stirs up the wrath of the dragon and he persecutes. Religi religious laws will eventually become so oppressive that the sentence of death will be visited upon the violators.
It isn't so difficult to observe the other nine commandments in modern Babylon, but it is impossible to keep the Sabbath and remain where the opposition is so bitter and the persecution so great. Maranatha, page 189, says, As God called the children of Israel out of Egypt that they might keep his Sabbath, so he calls his people out of Babylon, that they may not worship the beast or his image. While the children of Israel had the true Sabbath, they were often unfaithful and lax in its observance. Ezekiel twenty twelve through 20 says, Moreover, also I will give them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord, that sanctify them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness, and they walked not in my statutes, and they despised my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. And my Sabbaths they have greatly polluted, because they despised my judgments, and walked not in my statutes, but polluted my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 409, says, During the entire forty years in the wilderness, the people were every week reminded of the sacred obligation of the Sabbath by the miracle of the manna. Yet even this did not lead them to obedience, though they did not venture on so open and bold transgression as had received such signal punishment. Yet there was great laxness in the observance of the fourth commandment. Since we are following in the footsteps of Israel, we have become very lax, too, in keeping the Sabbath. Many of God's people go to a restaurant to eat or play sports or watch news and shows on TV or on the Internet on the Sabbath or talk of all manner of subjects that are not Sabbath-appropriate. Testimonies for the Church Volume 5, page 353 and 356 says, We must be guarded lest the lax practices that prevail among Sunday keepers shall be followed by those who profess to observe God's holy rest day. The line of demarcation is to be made clear and distinct between those who bear the mark of God's kingdom and those who bear the sign of the kingdom of rebellion. Far more sacredness is attached to the Sabbath than is given it by many professed Sabbath keepers. The Lord has been greatly dishonored by those who have not kept the Sabbath according to the commandment, either in the letter or in the spirit. He calls for a reform in the observance of the Sabbath. We are to understand its spiritual bearing upon all transactions of life. All who, who regard the Sabbath as a sign between them and God 
showing that he is the God who sanctifies them, will represent the principles of his government. They will bring into the daily practice the laws of his kingdom. Daily it will be their prayer that the sanctification of the Sabbath may rest upon them. Every day they will have the companionship of Christ and will exemplify the perfection of his character. We should each Sabbath reckon with our souls to see whether the week that has ended has brought spiritual gain or loss. It means eternal salvation to keep the Sabbath holy unto the Lord. God says, Them that honor me, I will honor. 1 Samuel 2.30 Friends, the types in the Exodus of literal Israel pointing to the final Exodus of spiritual Israel are fantastic and many. As we develop this series over time, I pray that it will bless your soul and kindle faith in God and His remnant message. I hope it inspires you with confidence in the promises of God to sustain you when we go through the final test and trial. God is faithful, and His primary interest is the spiritual welfare of His people. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we see that you led your ancient people out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. We pray that we will not falter as they did, but that we will be loyal to you. We pray that you will help us truly keep the Sabbath as it should be kept as well as keep our hands from doing any evil. Please make us your distinctive people, I pray. Let us be partakers of the latter rain, and will rejoice in your love through all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope that you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say, sung by Melissa Collette. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called The Way of Peace. If you would like to have a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will send one to you. Please mention The Way of Peace CD. Other international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month Senator Ted Cruz warns our basic freedoms are one vote away from disappearing. Senator Ted Cruz said he's honored and humbled to be included among President Donald Trump's potential nominees to the U.S. Supreme Court. But he said he doesn't want the job. Instead, he's written a book, One Vote Away, warning that our basic freedoms are in jeopardy if four liberal justices become five or even six in a Biden administration. The book's title refers to the current 5-4 conservative liberal split on the court. Quote, If you care about free speech, if you care about religious liberty, if you care about any of our rights, then this book is designed to explain where they stand right now and just how much jeopardy they're in, Cruz told Sunday Morning's Futures with Maria Bartiromo. He noted that on those issues and more, quote, there's a four-justice radical left majority on the court. If Joe Biden wins, the odds are very high, depending on what appointments he gets, that the four votes will become five votes, and the Second Amendment will be erased from the Bill of Rights. That's the stakes of this election, and it's true on issue after issue. President Trump last week added more names to his previously released list of potential Supreme Court nominees. Senator Cruz, Tom Cotton, and Josh Hawley were among the new names, but Hawley, like Cruz, said he's not interested in serving on the court. Quote, It's deeply honoring, Cruz said on Sunday. It's humbling to be included in the list of potential Supreme Court nominees. I am grateful that the President has the confidence in me, but it's not the desire of my heart. Quote, I want to be in the political fight. I want to be fighting to nominate and confirm three, four, five principled constitutionalist justices. But that's not where I want to serve. I want to stay fighting right where I am in the U.S. Senate. Cruz, a former Supreme Court litigator who clerked for former Chief Justice William Rehnquist, said the Supreme Court is one of the most important issues in the upcoming election. Quote, Well, I think nothing matters more long-term than preserving the Constitution and the Bill of Rights preserving our fundamental liberties that all of us enjoy as Americans. That's why I wrote this book, he said, referring to One Vote Away, which is due out in three weeks. Quote, and what the book does is 
it walks through, each chapter is a different constitutional liberty. And each chapter, it talks about free speech. It talks about religious liberty. It talks about the Second Amendment. It talks about U.S. sovereignty. And the way the book is written, each chapter is telling war stories about landmark cases, many of which I litigated. So it's telling the inside story of what went on. Election Concerns Cruz said he's very concerned about the upcoming election. I think it is exceptionally volatile, and I think it depends on what happens over the next two months. I think if we see people starting to go back to work, I think if we see a renewed sense of hope and optimism, we could have a phenomenally good election. We could see the president re-elected by an even bigger margin than last time. We could see Republicans growing our majority in the Senate. We could even see Republicans retaking the House of Representatives. And I am fighting hard for all those to happen. But, on the other hand, if in the next two months we see more people losing their jobs, more shutdowns, we see COVID numbers going up. If people are depressed and demoralized, if they are giving up hope, we could see a terrible election. We could see an absolute bloodbath where Biden wins the presidency and we wake up and Chuck Schumer is the majority leader and Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. And I have got to tell you, Maria, the damage that Biden-Schumer-Pelosi government would do, I think in two years would exceed the damage that Barack Obama and Joe Biden did in eight years. And I don't recall an election in my lifetime where there was so much delta, so much volatility between a very, a very good election and a Watergate-level catastrophic election. I don't know which one it's going to be, which means the stakes are now enormously high. Cruz said the final chapter of his book traces the history of judicial nominations starting with President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Quote, and Democrats, they get this right almost every time. Their nominees back close to 1,000. They vote almost exactly how Democrats would want them to vote on every issue. Republicans, at best, Republican nominees may be back 500. We need to get it right. And the book lays it out. Here's how you get it right. Here's what you look for so that we stop screwing this up and stop rolling the dice with our constitutional liberties. Quote, When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands with spiritualism, when, under the influence of this threefold union, our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government, and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions, then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan and that the end is near. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 451. Next, Australian state law empowers officials to forcibly remove underwear to administer vaccine. The state of Western Australia has legislated to allow police officers or other, quote, authorized officers to restrain individuals and, if deemed necessary, forcibly remove their underwear in order to administer a vaccine. LifeSite News recently became aware of the legislation and is in communication with a number of residents of Western Australia who, until recently, were unaware of the extraordinary powers granted 
to the government in state law. The so-called, quote, reasonable force includes the powers to to apprehend and detain the person to whom the direction applies, the relevant person, and take the relevant person to a place where the person is required to undergo medical observation, medical examination, or medical treatment, or to be vaccinated in accordance with the direction, and to detain the relevant person at the place where he or she is required to undergo medical observation, medical examination, or medical treatment, or to be vaccinated in accordance with the direction and to restrain the relevant person, to enable a medical observation, medical examination, or medical treatment to be carried out, or to enable the relevant person to be vaccinated, to remove anything, including underwear, that the relevant person is wearing, if the removal of the thing is reasonably necessary to enable a medical examination or medical treatment to be carried out, or as the cases requires, to enable the person to be vaccinated, and the relevant person is given a reasonable opportunity to remove the thing himself or herself and refuses or fails to do so. On the Western Australia government website showing, quote, original acts as passed for Western Australian legislation, the text is included in the original 2016 Public Health Act. An updated version of the act as of September 12, 2020 is also available on the government website and includes the same text. An Australian Broadcasting Corporation, ABC, quote, fact-check article on the issue was published in June this year when some social media users first became aware of the legislation and raised alarm online. The ABC article states that, quote, these powers are only enforceable under a public health state of emergency, as was declared in Western Australia on the 23rd of March, 2020 in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Rocco Locano, senior lecturer at the Curtin Law School in Western Australia, told LifeSite News that, quote, there is no basis for any public health emergency since there has not been any community transmission of the virus in Western Australia since early April. The government should have declared the emergency over months ago, Locano said, but of course, they will not now relinquish these newfound powers. Last month, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced that his government had made an agreement with the British pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca to supply Australians with their coronavirus vaccine for free, providing that the vaccine passes clinical trials. A few weeks after Morrison's statement, worldwide trials for AstraZeneca's coronavirus vaccine which uses cell lines from an aborted baby, were temporarily stopped after the UK trial participant was taken ill. Shortly after announcing the agreement with AstraZeneca, Morrison first said a coronavirus vaccine will be, quote, as mandatory as you can possibly make it. Before quickly walking back the comments somewhat and saying the vaccine, quote, is not going to be compulsory and that, quote, we can't hold someone down and make them take it. This gives us an idea what it will be like being forced to obey Sunday laws. Quote, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, 
and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Revelation thirteen, fifteen through 17 Next, Croatia heading towards work-free Sunday. Croatia is heading towards a work-free Sunday in the direction of half of EU countries where Sunday working in shops is restricted, with the exceptions of newsstands, bakeries, patrol station, convenience shops, and shops at bus and railway stations. The Versenji List Daily said on Monday, Government spokesman Markel Milik confirmed that a law to regulate Sunday working was in preparation, taking into account the balance between work, rest, and spending time with family. Quote, The final proposal and determining the concrete number of non-working Sundays is still being defined, and the government will discuss this with social partners. Milik was quoted as saying, adding that Labor Minister Joseph Aldravik and Economy Minister Tomislav Korik will meet this week with union representatives to discuss this topic. Quote, and we will also maintain a dialogue with employers, Milik said, adding that the political position of the HDZ government had not changed with regards to work-free Sunday and that they still wanted it to be work-free. They have analyzed European practice and the best solution will be found. Regulating and restricting Sunday working is also in line with the Directive of Work-Life Balance adopted by the European Parliament last year, which has to be incorporated into the national legislation of EU countries by 2022. Minister says government will propose that most Sundays be non-working days. Labor, pension system, family affairs and social policy minister Joseph Aldravik said later on Monday that government officials would propose at a meeting to be held with trade unions later in the day that most Sundays be non-working Sundays, while some would be working days. The meeting to be held with trade unions is aimed at determining unions' expectations, the minister said. Quote, Our general view is that Sunday should be a non-working day, but aside from that worldview parameter, we must also take account of economic parameters and be aware of the situation we are in and try to make a compromise. Aldravik said after the signing of an agreement on the establishment of a national council for pensioners and elderly persons. The minister noted that if the government and unions managed to bring their views closer, he expected, quote, a reasonable solution to be reached by the end of the year. He said it was possible to find a solution also in the context of previous constitutional court rulings, which abolished bans on Sunday trading. Asked about doctors and nurses who have not been paid for overtime work, he said that the matter was not within his remit, and therefore he could not comment on it but that, quote, considering the government's latest decisions, there should be no problem with payment. Quote, As the Sabbath has become the special point of controversy throughout Christendom and religious and secular authorities have combined to enforce the observance of the Sunday, the persistent refusal of a small minority to yield to the popular demand will make them objects of universal execration. It will be urged that the few who stand in opposition to an institution of the church and a law of the state ought not to be tolerated, that it is better 
for them to suffer than for whole nations to be thrown into confusion and lawlessness. The same argument many centuries ago was brought against Christ by the rulers of the people. It is expedient for us, said the wily Caiaphas, that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. This argument will appear conclusively and a decree will be finally issued against those who hallow the Sabbath of the fourth commandment, denouncing them as deserving of the severest punishment and giving the people liberty after a certain time to put them to death. Romanism in the old world and apostate Protestantism in the new will pursue a similar course toward those who honor all the divine precepts. Great Controversy, page 615. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.